two. That's a, he said we're two or more gathered, right? There will be a choir. Uh, turn your Bibles to John 16. We're going to start in John 16. Uh, what we're going to do uh, today is a brief, maybe today and tomorrow, of the main theme of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do a, a few uh, isolated, uh, smaller lessons as uh, we get ready for our main uh, doctrines, which are going to be the doctrine of prayer and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to put those together. So <clears throat> with that, let's uh, open up in prayer and let's thank God for our time together and opportunity that we have to hear his word and to be uh, instructed and guided in the truth, which, of course, is controlled by God, the Holy Spirit. And so with humility and reverence, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Thank you for your revelation of your holiness that brings us to you in a place of humility and fear. Our fear is one of awe and respect. We are born in sin, not holy. You are infinitely, perfectly holy. But through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can call you Father. And we do. We confidently and comfortably stand before you as your children, as your sons and daughters, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We understand, Father, that we must know your will, and but to know your will is to know you, and that to know you we need the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in us to reveal you to us. And you are revealed through your Son. And so, Father, as we uh, trust in faith on your Word and on the Spirit's ministry within us to accomplish the revelation of that Word that will infinitely influence our own souls, that we will come to know the Son and you, the Father. For this we are excited. For this we are hopeful. And for this we pray. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we're going to look at here the main ministry of God the Holy Spirit. This is not the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is for us to understand that the ministry of God the Holy Spirit is to every believer. But to every believer that ministry. And ministry is uh, a word in the, the, the Bible that means service. So the, the, the Spirit is within us to serve us or to minister to us in certain ways. And oftentimes the individual parts of that are emphasized. Things like power. Uh, the, minute, the Holy Spirit is to empower us. The Holy Spirit is to teach us, to give us instruction. He is to lead us. Uh, and leading means oftentimes helping us make good decisions. Uh, you know, which way to go? Uh, to reveal the Scripture to us. We can't understand the Scripture. It's uh, without the Spirit, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we can't know the deep things of God. And uh, to the natural-minded man, the things of the Scripture, the things of the truth are, are foolishness. But to us who are Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, uh, we can understand what the Scripture states, at least as it is revealed to us. And so we have uh, in the ministry of the Spirit a lot of different functions. Uh, the Spirit, the, His name is pneuma in the Greek. It's the same. It's exact synonym in Hebrew is ruach. And uh, it means wind. It can mean breath. And as Jesus said, you don't know where the wind is coming from or where it's going. And oftentimes with the Spirit, he said, same of those who are born of the Spirit. You don't know, you know, what is the Spirit doing me? Do I feel it? You know, do I, is it like, because the Pentecostal movement went sort of that way. 
not sort of in, in many cases a lot that way, and that the Holy Spirit became this feeling. Um, but there's nothing about that in the Scripture. And certainly uh, there's nothing about that in church history uh, until the Pentecostal movement, which makes it quite suspect. And we don't see anywhere in the Scripture that what God does to us is some kind of um, physical feeling. There are results of the Spirit-led life. There are results that at times are very emotional and wonderful. Uh, And also there's an emotion that we can feel when God is breaking us down, uh, which is not a good feeling, uh, but it's something that is absolutely necessary for God to break us of our pride and to break us of our ignorance. And that ties to our pride because we want to hold on to our ignorance. And, you know, I'm kind of beating around the bush here before I get to the main point. Is all of that, the individual parts of the Spirit's ministry, if we hyper-focus on any one or two of them and we exclude the others, we find ourselves in trouble. And uh, so let's hop right into it here. Look at John 16, 12. Here, Jesus, uh, this is the night of his betrayal, uh, the night before he died, and he tells us what the Spirit's ministry is for. I have many more things to say to you, he said to the disciples, but you you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak in his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you, and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, uh, there's, obviously there's been some, not obviously, but there's been some confusion as whatever he hears, you know, this is God, the Holy Spirit, and he's omniscient. So what does he hear? Uh, And it's, you know, what is the Spirit going to reveal to us? That's the main thrust here. And it's not a what, it's a who, as you can see. Clearly, he says in verse 14, he shall glorify me. Now, the Spirit's work in the church is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But how is he going to do that? And he says he's going to take of mine and disclose it to you. So the main theme of the Spirit's ministry to the church is to reveal the Son. And without seeing this main theme, no part of his ministry can be properly understood. Say we uh, focus in on the Spirit is going to give me power. Well, power for what? To do stuff, you know, the power to to have energy, the power to accomplish, the power to do, the power to do what I'm called to do. And if that's what I focus on, eventually I'll become self-absorbed. Because all I'll be thinking about is how the Spirit empowers me. But is, is that the only part of his ministry? And the answer is no. I not only need power, I need wisdom But I not only need power and wisdom, because if I focus on wisdom, then I'll think, well, you know, the Spirit's ministry is just for me to be wise. But, you know, do I really care about the wisdom of others? Part of the Spirit's ministry is to give me the power to serve. What about my spiritual gift? And it's the the Holy Spirit who gives the spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12, which is always for the service of others. So, and if I forget any part of this, or I don't focus on any part of this, uh, part of the individual, what is sometimes called ministries of the Spirit, I will find myself becoming absorbed with me or my particular ministry, which you have to focus on your own particular ministry. But if you do so, so much that you forget about the ministry of others, or you forget about others in general, you're going to become isolated. And this is not the work of the Spirit. So what helps us to keep from hyper-focusing 
on one thing is to know, you know, and this is very, the Lord has made it very easy for us here, uh, that we can summarize the entire ministry of the Spirit and all that he does for us in this one theme. He's going to reveal the Son to me. And that's what I have to see. If we fail to focus on that, we tend to isolate one or two others of ministries, whether it's power or wisdom or direction or understanding the Scripture or doing service. And we end up in the wrong place. And this happens to us with every doctrine. If we only have part of the whole of any truth, we end up in the wrong place. It leads us where we shouldn't be. And that's why you find, you know, you find in, in Christians and in churches uh, a hyper-focus on certain things which have burst the church into individual denominations and people have become isolated, but in groups, but they're isolated from the body of Christ because they focused on one thing to the exclusion of others. And so there's legalistic Christians out there who are working very hard. And, you know, is it wrong to work hard? No, we are to work hard. But they've forgotten or haven't really understood grace or mercy or love. And we've got to understand all of it. And we'll find ourselves on this path. We'll be a little off this way. We'll be a little off that way. But as we continue to learn, we're going to get course corrected onto the right path. Like All of us will tend at times to be a little too legalistic. All of us will tend at times to be a little too lascivious, meaning immoral. All of us will tend at times to focus too much on ourselves to the exclusion of others. And sometimes we'll be so focused on others, we'll forget about ourselves. You know, not tending our own gardens. And we all do this. And uh, that's a part of the Christian life. And as we'll see here, um, all of us do this. Because none of us have perfect knowledge. I don't think even of particular doctrines. Some of, we know, some of us know more than others, but have any of us really come to a perfect understanding of any truth? If that was true, then you'd be done learning about that truth. You wouldn't have to learn it anymore. I say, all right, today we're, today we're going to learn about the hypostatic union. You could say, oh, all right, pack my Bible up, I'm leaving. I, I already know it all. There's nothing new here for me. And that would be untrue. None of us have a perfect knowledge of any particular truth. Now, there's one who has a perfect knowledge of all those truths. That's the Son of God. But us, we still have a long way to go. And this is a good thing. The more I've learned of this, the more I've convinced that God has done this on purpose. Well, that's really an overstatement. (laughs) Because everything God does, he does on purpose. Nothing he does by mistake. I mean, for instance, are there mysteries in the scripture that no one can solve? There's many. There's more than you and I know. Nobody can solve them. The smartest, smartest theologian with 800 PhDs can't solve them. Has God done that on purpose? Well, obviously. So, um, so, to glorify me, that's what, he shall glorify me, that's what the Lord says. But how will he glorify him? He shall take of mine and disclose it to you. All right, so what is mine? What does he mean by what is mine? Uh, think about it. What belongs to the Son of God? It's a lot. Uh, you know, the universe belongs to him, but he doesn't care if we know uh, nuclear fusion. Right? He doesn't care if we know physics and chemistry and biology. I don't think he's very concerned about that. All that is true of him as the Son of God, all that is true of him as the Son of Man, and I mean everything that's revealed in the Scripture now, we're just talking about the Scripture. All that is true of him as the God the Son, as the Son of Man incarnate, 
So there's all that's true of him from the virgin birth to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. All that is true of him as creator. In John 1, he's a, in uh, Colossians 1, he's the creator of all things. As master, as Lord. But see, if we stop there and say, well, I know Jesus as Lord and master. But then God would ask you, do you know him as friend and husband? Because he's all of those things to us. If I, if I know him as master, but I don't know him as friend, what will my relationship with him I mean, it's better than not knowing him as Lord. And maybe that uh, produces in me a certain obedience. But if I don't know him as friend, then, you know, do I really know him? And I don't know him fully. And therefore, I might not be fully comfortable with the grace of God and my magnificent, holy, and perfect Lord. It's to know Him as Savior. He is my Savior. This belongs to Him. He's the only one. He's the only Savior. He's the one who has saved me from guilt and the power of sin. That's major. And that I will know. He's our high priest and king. Therefore, I'll know how to be a priest and how to be a subject in His kingdom. The one who suffered and died for us on the cross, to know that. As our prophet, he is the prophet, mediator, giver of the new covenant and our life of hope that he has given us, the completer of faith, the one who will someday also bring you with him to share with him in his glory for all of eternity. And these are all, and more, I could list more, but these are all things that are his. Now here's the kicker. Well, what I've said already is kicker enough. But now the words, what is mine, I mean now, I mean after what he's accomplished on the cross on our behalf, what is mine has become what is yours. What is mine, meaning Jesus. When Jesus says he's going to disclose to you what is mine, you find out that now this is yours. In him is salvation. I'm saved. In Him is righteousness. We're righteous. He made us righteous. In Him is holiness. He's made us holy. In Him is eternal life. He's given us eternal life. What is His? His is King. He's made us subjects of His kingdom. Him is high priest. That's Him. It's mine, as, as he would say. And we are His priests. It turns out that what He says, He will disclose to you what is mine. We find out that this is what is now ours. And so this is what the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is meant to reveal. Now, if we think this through a little bit, we find out that since these possessions that we're learning through God, the Holy Spirit's ministry to us, uh, is now ours, well, we find out we're learning about ourselves. And this is where you find your true self. And this is a journey as you continue to grow in grace and knowledge and as you learn to depend on God the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to empower you, to present you uh, the understanding of God's Word and the living of that Word then, you know, what's the reward? We're often thinking of, you know, what's the rewards in the future? We'll sometimes think of maybe crowns or something like that, some kind of privileges in, in eternity that maybe others don't have. And I think there we're missing it completely because the reward is what Jesus says here. What is the main theme of God the Holy Spirit, he says, is to reveal me to you. And so herein lies the reward, is that we see him. Uh, this means that you have a life in which you are really in the face of, or beholding the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means you know him, and as he says here, if you know him, you know the Father. And so you know God which means you converse with God on a day-by-day -day basis. And I mean in prayer, but I mean much more than that. 
that you, and as the Scripture uses this term a whole lot, that you walk with them. And a walk, what is meant, meant there, is not just going from going from like a place A to place B, but actually walking together in a conversation, in a life, in a relationship, in a marriage, uh, in which you're beholding and therefore blessed by the Son and the Father. Hence, Jesus would confidently say that if you love me and keep my word, I and my Father will build, my, uh, build our house with you. And that is the reward. I mean, what, what is life with them? It's peace. It's it's everything. It's everything that's good. It's love. It's energy. It's life. It's peace. It's joy. It's delight. It's power. It's wisdom. It's confidence. It's courageousness. And also compassion and love and mercy. And the, uh, the wonderful ability to be a blessing to others rather than a curse. And that's the whole purpose of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. To reveal to you the Son. Let's read it again. We'll read verse 15. I have many more things to say to you. You can't bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak in His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. Disclose it means revelation. It means I'm going to see it. And that is the purpose of his ministry. So, and we'll get to this here coming up, but why doesn't every believer therefore know this? Not just know this fact or this truth, but to know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately. Which, there's a number of reasons, but the, the first and foremost is faith in God's Word. A lot of believers don't really care too much for God's Word. They don't care to know uh, all of God's Word. They don't care to know much of it at all, actually. Uh, and therefore, you know, you could take that back a step and say, well, they lack, and this is true, is a believer who lacks faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. And they may be believers, but they believed in Him as their Savior, but do they believe in Him as Lord and life and authority and you know in, in that the knowledge of Him or the revelation of Him is only found in the Word of God. And therefore they have great faith in the Word of God and a desire to know the Word of God. And if we lack these things, how does the Holy Spirit lead us to know uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ? And, of course, we wouldn't, and therefore He doesn't force us to. Yeah, if Jesus were saying here, as soon as I send the Spirit, He's going to force all of you to see me, force all of you to know me, then every single believer would. And, we, you know, throughout the Bible, we wouldn't need it. But yet, God has given us text. Text takes time. That was a nice phrase. Three T's. Text takes time. It takes time to read. It takes time to digest. It takes time. So you have to meditate on it. You have to read it again and again. You have to hear it again and again. You have to pray about it. You have to consider it. And it takes years. And it takes a lot of years because it's a big book. There's a lot in there. As rightly there should be. And, you know, we say, well, no, I don't really have time for that. I've got time for a lot of other things. I mean, everybody has 24 hours in a day, and it's whatever number of days in their lives. Uh, and they, everybody has time for something. And they have, everybody has time for the things that they love and want to do. And they find time for that. But for a believer to not be concerned about this is that God, the Holy Spirit, is certainly not going to force them. And so... The point here to us is that if we're not going to be forced to see the Lord, 
why don't we want to? I mean, it's obviously up to us. If we're not going to be forced to see the face of Jesus Christ and who he really is, why don't we want to? Why do we consider other things more important than knowing him? And think of what the things are. They're generally selfish things that I want to do that are either lustful pleasures or distractions or whatever they are. I don't have to go through a list. We all know what they are. Why do I want those more than I want him? And the promise is that in him is all delight, all life. And yet, I can easily, so easily be distracted. Now, look at verse 15. He says, all that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is a bit of a footnote, right? It's repetitive. And it is. It takes the form of a footnote. This is in order to tell us that the full scope of implications of the word mine should not be missed. All things that the Father has are mine. And this is to show us that what Jesus has and what the Father has are the same. This is to warn us against supposing that Jesus is and does in any way exceeded by what the Father is and does. Is the Father greater than the Son? No. They're co-equal and co-eternal. The Holy Spirit. Now, Francis, I can't remember the name of the book, but Francis Chan wrote a book called the, it's called the, like the disappearing member of the Trinity or the missing member of the Trinity, and it's, it's about the Holy Spirit. We often, because the Holy Spirit's, you know, his, <clears throat> he didn't take bodily form, he's not the planning father, but he's kind of this, and actually it would seem to me that the Spirit's doing the most work. But, of course, he didn't become a man and die for the sins of the world. He's not the Father. But the one that is in us to give us power, wisdom, guidance, understanding of the Scripture, interpretation, and on and on. And uh, and yet still co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And so verse 15 is to warn us against supposing that Jesus is and does in any way, whatever he is and does, is any way exceeded by the Father. Uh, we'll see this, uh, go back to John 5, John 5, 19. The Son and the Father are co-equal. And so in the, whole, in the Holy Spirit's ministry, and again, the emphasis for today is always remember, if you're thinking about you need the Spirit's power, or you need the Spirit's wisdom, you need the Spirit's guidance, and we all do, that you don't forget that this is all pointed towards one goal. Power, wisdom, guidance, instruction are all for the main purpose of seeing the Son of God, His person. All that he, all things that He is, He said is going to be revealed to us. And that's what that's all pointed towards. So look at John 5.19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. Now, doesn't that sound like the Son is less than the Father? Like, I can't do anything unless I see the Father do it. It's like I'm a copycat. But now think about it. With people, that might make you a subordinate character. But with God, just read the second part of the sentence, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Now, can this? <laughs> if you're going to do what the Father does, what do you have to be? You have to be God. And so we see it. We see the hypostatic union truly right here. The Son says, I'm not going to do anything unless I see the Father do it, but whatever the Father does, I do. To ask that to a person, I can do whatever God the Father does. <laughs> really. Only God can do what the Father does, but yet the Lord has taken a subservient, the Son of God has taken a, a submissive position as a human being, so that 
we could all be brought into this fellowship of the Trinity and therefore see the Father and the Son. And though we're here apart from them in this dark world, that we can live with them daily. I mean, right now. Seeing the Lord's face, having the Lord's guidance, having the Lord's compassion and love, having the Lord, and it's always with me. You know, it's always with all believers. The Lord's love is with all believers, but not all believers know of it or see it. And they miss it. They live as though it's not there. All believers have His wisdom, or can have His wisdom, what is revealed, not all of His wisdom. So, look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. Now, this is another great point. It's another, we could miss it. But, and what I mean is miss this kind of slight indication that who can see everything that the Father is doing? Only one person, the Son, Can you and I see everything the Father's doing? Oh, God, no. Never mind in the whole world, but even in this person here. right? Do I know everything the Father is doing with me? And actually, do I know everything the Father is doing from the Scripture? No. Does anybody, some know more than others, nobody knows it all. Nobody does. I love it. I love that. Even of particular doctrines. Take the doctrine of the hypostatic union, for instance. Yeah, it's a it's a solid, sound, clear doctrine that all of us need to know. The Son of God is fully and completely man. He's not a phantom or more of a man. He's completely one hundred percent grade A human. And he's also God. But he's not two beings. He's one person. God and man, two natures, and one person forever. So we know that. It's not hard to know. But if you dive into it and try and understand how does infinite God fit in a finite person? How is a finite person with a skin and able to die? How is that God who is eternal who can't die? And there's a thousand more questions as you jump down the rabbit hole there and none of them can you solve. None. And so can I say I completely know the doctrine of the hypostatic union? I can really only say I know of it. And I believe it. But do I know all of it and all its implications? Not even close. God has done this on purpose. Now, what about life? You know, uh, I heard today about a, a man who's uh, him and his. I think I think they were missionaries. Him and his wife, and they served the Lord for decades in some mission field. And then his wife got like Hodgkin's disease or something, and um, I think it was that. And you know, and it, it, it something that came out of nowhere. And so why? Why do some people get a debilitating disease? Someone who's serving the Lord all their lives, probably winning many souls to Christ, and they get something that puts them basically uh, quickly towards death. And others live, the wicked live forever, not forever, but you know, live a long time. Um, yeah, why why did things things like that, many other things, there's a thousand million questions that none of us can answer. It makes me wonder, do you want to know all the answers? Do you want to know all that why God's doing all that he does? I don't have enough brain capacity to know it all, but you know, how much of it do I really want to know? Isn't it better to just trust him? And to live your life the way it is now, kind of in your own corner of the world, and not, as the Lord said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Not worry about what's going on in Washington, D.C., or all over the world, or at the U.N., or wherever. 
wherever these elites are, you know, twisting their evil mustache. I know they don't do that anymore, but I always think of snidely whiplash from uh, my old cartoon days. But it's, you know, do, do I want to know all the ins and outs of how all that's going down? Or isn't it just better to know that Christ controls history? And I don't have to worry about that stuff. All i got to worry about is what work he has put in front of me. And not just me. The people that he has put me with. I don't say worry, but concern. Right? Are we, we are to be concerned for one another. And concerned, meaning that we're concerned for our ministry that we have to one another. And, and we have to learn to do that because it doesn't come natural to us. We have to learn to care for others and love others. And that's in Hebrews 10. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And the, in, in Ephesians 4, the body is perfectly knit together so that we supply one another and equip one another for the work of the ministry. So we've got to be concerned for others. And how are we going to learn that? And actually, how are we going to learn to do it with patience and joy is to see the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so, it's, you know, it's not just seeing a picture of him now, right? Because we don't have one of those. It's the Spirit showing us what he said, my things. The things that are mine, he's going to disclose to you. And by seeing him, we see the things that are his. And one of them is service. You know, one of them is compassion. One of them is also knowledge and wisdom. One of them is power. And on it goes. All right, so the son is honored like the father. Look at uh, John 15, 5, sorry, 520 again. The father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And that means the son knows everything we don't, and that's good. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel that the father will show the son. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. You have to be God to do that. So not even, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. If you're honoring the Son as you honor the Father, the Son is God. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So we can see that in light of this truth that in the Trinity, the Son and the Father are co-equal, that when Jesus says all things that the Father has are mine, then that makes perfect sense. It doesn't mean we understand the Trinity anymore. It just means that we know that what the Son has, the Father has. And the Father doesn't have more, and the Son doesn't have less. And when the Holy Spirit in our life Reveals the Son and the Father. They're revealing; He's revealing to us God in all His beautiful glory. And that, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians, when you see the glory of God, that glory becomes in you, and it changes you. You can't be not changed by the glory of God. It's only it's, it's believers who refuse to care about it, or look at it, or want to look at it that are unchanged. So the Holy Spirit's mission is to reveal the Son and the Father to us, but only the Son knows all the things the Father is doing. We do not. So uh, there is a reality of life with the Trinity that is unmistakable. Um, For instance, like I said, we don't know all the doctrine. Nobody does. So, as I said, some know more than others, and we're always to keep learning, always. But we're never going to come to the end of it, not in this life. So, we could say, and what some people do with this, they say, well, if I can't know all the truth, I'm not, I don't want to know any of it. Arrogant jerk. That's what you are. The fact that any truth is beautiful, you say, if I can't know it all, I don't want to know any of it. It's just an excuse to be lazy. Uh, 
many things we do know. It's not that, and so here's the other thing. I say, well, why bother studying the Bible if I can't really know? Right? We didn't say you can't know. We said that you can't know all things perfectly. What can you know? Salvation is in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. That's not hard to know. That salvation is by faith and faith alone. That's not hard to know. But when you start saying, well, I know everything about Jesus Christ or I know everything about what happened at the cross, just think of that. At the cross, the lights went out. And he's forsaken by the Father. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that God was in the Son reconciling the world to himself. Well, wait a minute. If God was in the Son reconciling the world, how is the Son forsaken by the Father? How does he judge him for the sins of the world in roughly three hours? That he's hanging there. How does he forsake the Son? How does the Son stay innocent though he is judged for all sin? Questions go on and on and on. And we don't really have any sound answers. So we can only know what God reveals. But we don't truly know it all. And what is to do, this to do to us? Well, first off, it's to show us the reality. It's good to live in the real world. Not in our own fantasy world. Where we're really smart. <laughs> we're really smart, really strong, and really beautiful, and really got it all together. Fantasy world. Have fun. It's a, it's a false world. False. Who of us are perfect? Who of us have got it all together? Who of us doesn't harbor sin and weakness within us that we struggle with on a day-by-day basis? Some days worse than others, sure. Who of us are, are, are free from this? Nobody is. Nobody is. But then, <laughs> then Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we're like, well, Lord, Why? And what the Lord is telling us there, because God tells us that none of us are sinless. Nobody. 1 John 1, 8, 1 John 1, 10. Nobody. You're not born sinless and you ain't never going to be sinless. But he tells us to reach for that calling. And if God puts a calling on your life, which for every believer he has, that calling is perfect. God doesn't make up substandard callings. He gives us a perfect calling. And we are told to reach for that. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I press on to the upward call. I reach ahead for the calling of God in Jesus Christ. Which is a perfect call. But he says, I haven't attained it yet. So um, we reach for that which is heaven and holiness. And you know, some think we never see it, you know, like there's never a moment in your life where you act perfect. Some think that. Some think that there's, well, there are moments, but it only takes a little bit before sin creeps in, which I think is all of our experiences, obviously, because some of us would be perfectly holy all the time, and we know that's not true. It's not a matter of while we're acting well and godly as we should, it's a matter of time before some selfish thought or doubt or perverted thing or action or anger or emotion that is wrong is creeps into the soul and grabs us. Um, on, on top of that, all the stuff that we're supposed to do that we might miss or do miss, they're called sins of omission. You know, you're supposed to do stuff, but you didn't even see it because you were lazy and self-absorbed or whatever. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? We couldn't evaluate ourselves to that level of uh, detail to to know if we had a... Yeah. Well, certainly it's not a perfect day. You know, how perfect was it? You know, how close was it? None of us can do it. And so, what does that mean? So, what does that mean? Give up? No. Does that mean kill yourself with stress until you're perfect? No. That's Phariseeism. Drives everybody who tries it crazy. As, as some writer put it that I read yesterday, creates spiritual neurotics. 
Oh, and I know, I know what it's like to be a spiritual neurotic. Um, you know, without grace and forgiveness and no joy. Right? If if all I'm doing is looking at my sin and my failures and my shortcomings and the stuff I'm not doing that I should do, where, where's the joy in my life? There's none. There's none. <clears throat> so, what does that mean? We are, every moment of every day, dependent on the grace and mercy of God. Every moment of every day. As soon as we, and I had such a hard time understanding this for a long time, for years. I mean, I was taught this quite a bit. You know, it's not you, it's God. And and I was taught this well. I was taught it well. But I just, you know, if it's not me, it's God, then what? I do nothing? Doesn't it sound right? If it's all God and not me, I should just do nothing. Just kind of sit back and wait for God to, you know, to throw me into something good. I don't know. Or to force my head into some good decisions. But we also know that God doesn't force our thoughts or cause us, you know, force us to do things. We have to make decisions. We have to make good decisions. But with the, the failure, the weakness that we have, if we ever think that without some supernatural power of God within us that we could actually do things like love, like, for instance, just love His Word, to love reading and learning the Scripture, that's not from you or me. God has done that. Now, and obviously, if you are a lover of the Scripture, it means along the way, that at some point you stopped resisting that push towards it. I, I guess I could imagine with some believers they fall in love with the scripture like the the day they're saved, like it's right away. And for others they resist it. Maybe it has to do with your background or whatever. But if you're a lover of the Word of God, you stopped resisting the push. And it's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to lead. So lead, you can push or pull. <laughs> I, I've seen uh, my my parents both grew up in Ireland. I used to go over there as a kid. And one time, my dad rent. We were he was building he was building a house. Someone was helping him build our house in Ireland, which is there to this day. It's built uh, thanks to the contractor. <laughs> but uh, we. You know, he rented a donkey to help pull stuff around. And I, that's the first time I've ever seen someone try to work with a donkey. And it's, it's stu- just stubborn, ain't going to do. Plus, he didn't know my dad. Dad wasn't his owner. So it was a riot. I've My dad about punched him and knocked him out. Like, it, it was amazing. But it, And we're like that. I mean, why does God put creatures like this on earth? To show us, you're an ass. I don't mean that. I mean that as a donkey now. That's not swearing. But we all are, right? We're all A-double-S's. And he's got a pull and we're resisting. And, you know, when do we stop, you know, when do we give over our entire will? And You know, I, you give over a lot of it and more and more of it as time goes on. If you've given it fully over, I think you'd be perfectly sinless. Which will occur in heaven, but it's not going to occur now. So again, the pendulum swings and people say, well then fine, I'm just going to sin if I can't be sinless. Arrogant jerk. Right? Sin destroys us. It's destroyed the whole world. It's destructive to the core God calls it corrupt, corruption and death and darkness and evil and, um, and stain, a stain and corruption. And so it, you know, the more sin we have in our lives, the worse off we are. The less sin we have in our lives, the better off we are. And just, it's, it's just simply true. But are any of us sinless? No. 
So on a day-by-day basis, the only reason, and this is just, what does this do? I mean, you, I'm going to say, well, whatever, I'm going to go about my life learning the Scripture, glorify, you know, living the plan of God, just like I always did. Correct, and you should, and I hope you do. But the what this does, when you find yourself operating in wisdom and in love, who's doing that? You? No, never. You're allowing it to be done to you by making good decisions. You're not resisting God anymore as you used to. And you're, a, you're with Him, right? So it's a walk with Him. And therefore, all the glory goes to Him. As soon as I start living well spiritually, and I start to think, you know what? I'm getting pretty smart. It's going to matter of time. Before this living well is a memory. It is a matter of God, the Holy Spirit within us, working. And what do we do? Obey. By faith we obey. So we are dependent on the grace and mercy of God all the time. And... As we submit our lives, I'll go back to my previous slide. The Holy Spirit reveals the Son to us. Again, if we're not resisting, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal the Son and all I want to see is me. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see you. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal to me the Son and all I want to see is the sin that I want. No, you're going to see the sin that you want. You, as the Lord said, you have your reward in full. I want to pray, but I only want to pray when people hear me. Christ said you have your reward in full. You have no reward from the Father. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of doing their will. So the Holy Spirit reveals the Son to us, which in turn reveals the Father And by that revelation, we converse with them accordingly. Imagine literally conversing with the Trinity. That's you know, and it's it's a reality, and it's we have to do it to experience it. Obviously, you have to do something to experience it. Uh, If it just remains a theory, then we won't experience it. But you know, is there anything better than that? There cannot be. It's not. It's it's not some trick. I mean, is God real or isn't He? So, and this is what we'll find, and we'll see it tomorrow. Jesus says this. There's a phrase in the Old Testament in the New, which is you've heard it. God with them. So God says to individuals, "I will be with you." So he says it to Moses. When he sent in Moses to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he said, <laughs> you know, and Moses, this great man says, I don't think I'm the right guy for the job. Well, why not, Moses? I killed a guy in Egypt. Yeah, it was 40 years ago, but they're probably going to remember because I lived in the court, Pharaoh's court, and... Um, you want me to tell all the Jews down there that their God has spoken to me and I don't think they're going to believe me. And you want me to walk right into Pharaoh's court, you know, which you need an introduction. You can't just walk in and say, hey, Pharaoh, what's up? You know, you have to go in there and you have to be presented and it's all official and stuff. And Moses knows this because he lived in the court. He knows what it's all about. The butterflies in his stomach are going crazy. And he says, God, I, you got the, I can't do that. They're not going to believe me. And God says to Moses, I will be with you. Now, is Moses going to see God's, you know, some apparition, some theophany of God? No. He's, here's the thing. He's got to believe it by faith. And if you believe it by faith, then even though God is, God is always with you, but by faith, this has the effect on you that God wants it to have, which gives you peace and courage, comfort, 
And you know, is it real? And that's, that's the thing all of us have to grapple with. I mean, I can tell you it's real. You can read the scripture, it tells you it's real. But if you don't think it's real, it's not going to really do you any good. So is it a trick? You know, not when God is omniscient. And not when, so you say, well, if God is with me and I can't see him, hear him, or touch him, then is there no evidence of this at all? Like, no manifestation of him at all. And the answer to that is the blessing in your life will be unmistakable. And the presence of God will be unmistakable. To a point, to the point where if someone says, you're just fooling yourself. God's not with you. There's no blessing from God. It's just a mind trick. And you'll be able to say to them, you, you could be the most convincing person in the world. I wouldn't believe an ounce of it. I know God is with me. And so it says in Romans 8, uh, 15, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit in here. Or in here, sorry. The Spirit bears, wherever it is, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also. Meaning we have an inheritance with God. And the Spirit makes that. We call this, it's called assurance. Right? So as Paul writes in the same chapter in Romans 8, I'm convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And this is what it's all about. To converse with the Father and the Son is to worship them. Right? You have all glory and authority. If you converse with them, you're worshiping them. Truly conversing, you worship them. You have fear of them. But not fear in terms of being afraid, but awe, respect honor, and a great desire to be obedient. That's the fear of God. Also to enjoy them, and finally to be blessed by them. And no matter how accurate or thorough my theology is, which nobody's theology or knowledge of God or knowledge of the Bible is thorough. Nobody. None of us know it all. But no matter how thorough or accurate my theology is, the life of Christ lived in me is unmistakable. You can't mistake the love of God for something else. You can't mistake the peace of God, the hope of God, the joy of God for something else. Human love and human joys and human uh, you know, areas of peace are also easily identified because they're so weak and fleeting. Uh, they depend upon circumstances and how things are going and you know how I feel. But when it comes to the things of God, whether, whether it's joy, love, or peace, it's unmistakable their reality inside of us. And I would say addictive. Because once you've experienced it, that's all you would want. Well, once you and when you want it full time, you will find out that you will not have it full time. You will have it more and more as you grow in grace and knowledge, absolutely. Of it more often. But will you have it all the time? Perfect peace? You'd have to be sinless. And so that's why it takes a constant vigilance. Alertness, we continue to study, we continue to pray, we continue to reach ahead to that which lies ahead. And, uh, and that's what the ministry of the Spirit is for. The ministry of the Spirit, though he gives us strength and wisdom and guidance and leading and uh, understanding of Scripture. And there's a couple more in there. Even though he does all those individual things, if we focus on one or two of those, we miss the big picture and we can be led astray to false places. When we understand what the whole uh, theme or, or really the whole mission of the Holy Spirit, which is very simple to understand, to reveal to us the things of the Son, which is also the things of the Father. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for this ministry of God the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you that through him that we can understand and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Not fully, but to a level or a point that gives us joy and peace and wisdom and all those wonderful assets and, and, uh, and virtues that are his. Uh, we would long, Father, to hold on to them full time. But we know that we are sinners and, and uh, we get in the way. So, thank you for your mercy and grace and forgiveness, uh, which we can recover and press on to know and reach ahead to that upward calling. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Rogers.